Welcome to Garfield Memorial Church. We are one church in three locations, Pepper Pike, Ohio, South Euclid, Ohio, and Liberia, Africa. Together, we seek to widen the circle through our core values of diversity, safety, authenticity, growth, and forgiveness. To learn more about Garfield Memorial Church, visit our website at garfieldchurch.org. And now, may you be blessed and inspired by our weekly podcast of the message from the 10 a.m. Sunday morning Mosaic worship service. Garfield Memorial Church, widening the circle. I uh, want to greet all of you who are worshiping with us online today. We're so glad you could be together with those of us who are gathered here in person. Uh, wherever you are, you're with us. Uh, we're connected, thank God, for technology that keeps us connect- connected. And thank gosh for opportunities to be back together in, in uh, very tangible ways. Um, it's always good to come home. Terry and me were out in, Terry and I, I think is more correct, uh, were out in Kansas City this past week. Um, we are part of a denomination. We're not a non-denom. We don't glorify the denomination. We glorify God. But we are part of the Methodist witness. And a call went out for the 400 largest Methodist churches in the United States to gather in Kansas City. You are one of them. And uh, it's good to go out and to hear the wonderful things that people are saying about Garfield. I mean, leaders uh, from California, from Idaho, of all places. Places, um, were coming up to me and saying, boy, uh, boy, is Garfield a brave congregation. One said, Garfield continues to give us hope in a troubled time. So you're, you're making a witness, but it's always good to come home. It's always good to be, you know, that's what David said. I was glad when they said to me, let's go up to the house of the Lord. Let's go be home together. And at nine o'clock this morning, our, uh, it was the first time really for me, our full choir sang with a drum and with bass. And it was really cool to, to see that. And it just keeps giving us hope. And so if you're worshiping online and you're connecting online, that's great. It's, it, it, it's, it's not like in-person worship is the gold standard. We just want to be together. We want to be connected. But it is good uh, and various ways to get back and to see each other face to face uh, and to, to, to laugh together, to sing together. Uh, we met a couple out in Kansas City. It was a younger couple, like I, I think in their 30s or 40s. And, and well, that's young to me. Um, and people are on the line going, young? What are you talking about young? Um, but we were talking to them and it was interesting. Uh, she said to me, she said, you know, this is our first time back to church in person in two years. And I said, well, that's great. You know, she said, um, she said, you know, my husband and I were talking and we're both fully vaccinated and we, you know, we're wearing face coverings and we realized it wasn't that we weren't going out to church in person because of Delta. Uh, we go to grocery stores. We've, you know, we've gone uh, to restaurants. We just got real comfortable sitting on our couch drinking coffee on Sunday morning. And that's okay. If that's where you're at, that's good. But, you know, we also want you to know the doors of the church are open. We're here. Uh, connect with a small group online. Connect with us together because there's no place like home. And, you know, you know where that line comes from. Scott mentioned it last week, Pastor Scott. Um, It comes from uh, Judy Garland playing Dorothy in The Wizard of Oz. And here's this young woman who's transported into a foreign place, a land that makes no sense, something that seems very odd. And all she wants to do is get home. And I want to say to you that I think there's a little Dorothy in every single one of us that we're longing for home. And whatever, whatever, you know, we just have this kind of ache in our soul that, that there's something more. 
There's always, whatever it is, there's something more. I'll prove my point. Did you see two weeks ago that Captain Kirk finally got to space? Did you see that? Isn't that great? It only took him 55 years since Star Trek first uh, aired on September 8th, 1966. Uh, God bless him, 90 years old, 55 years later, he finally got to space. And I gotta tell you, I have to be honest with you, there's something rather appalling to me about these billionaires' new space race 2.0. It just is, but hey, it's their money. Uh, They have a right to spend it however they want. They're spending gazillions of it. But there's just something in me, I guess, as a preacher of the gospel, as an advocate for God's justice here on earth, as it is in heaven, that I think about, boy, what could those resources do here on earth? But let me say this to you. They are illustrating my point. Because, you know... um, they're showing us that there's just no boundaries. We've, we're, we're trying to find something that, that we just can't find under a Christmas tree or, or in a particular relationship, right? You know in The Wizard of Oz, what did they sing? The Scarecrow, the Tin Man, the Lion, they sang, if I only had a brain, a heart, a courage. Uh, but see, they're more self-aware than we are. What do we sing in the 21st century? You know you've done this. I've done it too. You've daydreamed and said, if I only had... A billion dollars. Man, what would I do? Now you know. Now you know. You wondered what you would do. Now you know. You build a spaceship and you go out there. And what does it prove? It proves that no matter how much money you have, no matter what unlimited things you can do or go or spend or buy, even the earth isn't a big enough playground and you're always going to be looking for something more. St. Augustine said it this way. He was a great... um, leader of the early church, especially the African church. And when he wrote his confessions, he said a prayer that became very famous for years and years throughout the church, where he said, God, you've made us for yourself, and we're going to be restless until we rest in you. Two weeks ago, I preached at our South Euclid campus when Pastor Steve was kicking this series off here, and and Jess sang a song that the opening line of it had just kind of stuck with me uh, the day after Captain Kirk had come back to earth. And it said this, and when she sang, it said, I searched the world, but it couldn't fill me. The world's empty praise and treasures that fade are never enough. So... I'm going to get into these words from Jeremiah, but what I want to get to you for a second, Jeremiah is speaking to literal homeless people, but when I talk about the Dorothy in us, I want to say to each and every one of us that all of us, in a way, are spiritually homeless. Every single one of us suffer from spiritual homelessness. Now, you heard those words that were read from Jeremiah. Jeremiah is speaking to a particular context in history. Now, I can't emphasize this enough. I don't have enough time to teach on. If you ever want to talk to me one-on-one or come to, you know, one of our small groups, I'm going to be leading uh, the men's group on Monday starting November 11th, kind of on Christianity one-on-one. You cannot read the Bible if you don't read it in its historical context. The Word of God is always speaking to a particular situation, whether Paul's writing letters, whether Jesus is speaking to a Samaritan woman, or whether it's a prophet speaking to Israel. You have to understand that, because a lot of bad things happen, especially in the American church, because we're the most arrogant, where people rip scriptures out and say, see, this is what the Bible is saying about uh, Proposition 725061. Well, no, it's not. It wasn't speaking to that. 
What was it taught? You have to understand that or you'll get totally distorted and twisted. And if you understand the context to which the scripture is speaking and we understand it grounded in that, guess what? We'll understand universal word it has to say for all time. And so here Jeremiah is speaking to people who are literally homeless. This is where Babylon had come into Jerusalem in 589 BC, 587 BC, and they'd come into Jerusalem and they had destroyed the southern kingdom of Judah. They burned the temple to the ground. Jerusalem was left in rubbles. They had murdered thousands upon thousands upon thousands of Israelites. And now their policy of conquest was to take a big swath of the population and deport them out of their land, out of their nation, out of their home, and send them to exile Babylon where they could basically be reprogrammed to be good subordinate citizens. This was their policy. And this is the moment to which Jeremiah speaks to them and he says to them that the Lord has allowed this to happen. God has scattered you. Now what has happened? Because they lost their way on, on where they were set to be, who they were called to be, they had lost their way and so God couldn't protect them anymore. I'm going to tell you, if you ever read Romans chapter 1, the scariest thing that God can ever do for you and I, it says that when God sometimes gets to a place where he says, I left them unto themselves. That's Burger King. Have it your way. That's Starbucks. Happiness is the sum of your choices. God help us if God ever lets it, gives us up to ourselves. And God said, look, you, you know, you, I've allowed this to happen because you guys, you were called to be what? To be a light to the nations. But now you're only a light to yourselves. You were slaves in Egypt and now you're taking slaves. You were eating manna in the wilderness and now you're filling your belly with, with fine food and gold and silver while the poor go hungry among you. You're not a light to anything but yourself. And I called you in the beginning, go back to Genesis 12, when God started this movement through Abraham and Sarah, what did he say? Two things I want you to do. Go! Go out out of your comfort zone. Leave your familiar places. Go out and do what? And bless. What does bless mean? Bless means to enhance life. Uh, that's the only two things they were called to do. But they lost their way, and so now they're ending up in exile. But, but Jeremiah says, you heard that verse that she read, the one who has scattered you will gather you and bring you home. And he will lead you like a shepherd. That's the promise. One day God would bring them home. And here's the truth. In history, oh, about 70 years later, uh, Persia comes in and conquers Babylon. And after they ruled it for a while, they started to allow the Israelites to come home. So 70 to 100 years later, they finally all came back home, came back to Israel. But when the prophets, it's Jeremiah here, it's Ezekiel and it's Isaiah, talk to the people about God bringing them home, the language gets really outrageous. It gets, it gets fantastic. It's, it's almost incomprehensible. Ezekiel says, yeah, God's going to bring you home, but it's not just a relocation process. It's a reformation process. In fact, God's going to give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. He's going to take out your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. Like something bigger is happening here. Okay? In fact, listen to Ezekiel in 36. Ezekiel says this. We're going to have that scripture up there for you. On this day, the day that I bring you home, I'm going to cleanse you from all your sins. I'll resettle your towns and the ruins will be rebuilt. The desolate land will be cultivated. Instead of lying desolate in the sight of all who pass through it, they will say, this land that was laid waste has become 
The Garden of Eden. The Garden of Eden? What the heck is going on here? Let's read on. Isaiah says it this way. On that day, the desert and the parched land will be glad. The wilderness will rejoice and blossom. Then the eyes of the blind will be... The eyes of the blind? The ears of the deaf unstopped. The lame will leap like a deer. The mute will shout for joy. Water will gush forth in the wilderness streams in the desert. Bubbling springs. They will enter Zion, Jerusalem, singing. Everlasting joy will overtake them. And sorrow and sighing will flee away. What the heck is going on here? Because I'm going to tell you, when Israel came back 70 to 100 years later, none of this happened. They didn't go into Zion singing. They didn't go with great joy. In fact, read Ezra and Nehemiah. They went in and looked at the rubble of the temple, and they wept so loud that the nations heard them. So keep going in Isaiah. He says in Isaiah 19, he says, In that day, watch, Israel will be third along with Egypt and Assyria, a blessing on the earth. Psalm 87 says Babylon will be brought in. Babylon, Babylon did this. And I got news for you. Israel, Egypt, and Assyria are still fighting. They are. They weren't together then. They're not together now. So what is going on? What's going on, as I told you, is a particular Context: Israel was going to come back to their land, but there's a bigger story going on. That he, what God is saying, yes, you're in exile. Yes, you're in Babylon. But I'm speaking to the entire human race that you're all in exile. That you're all spiritually homeless. But one day I'm going to fix that. And now what does he talk about the Garden of Eden? The Garden of Eden, because that's when God created us, what? God put us in a place. God had a home for us. And, and there's something about this world that sometimes we know is, is finally not, we're not built for finally. We're not built to live in a world where everybody we love and everybody we're going to love is going to die. We're not built for that. We were built for the garden, right? We were built where all of our, all of our capacities were fulfilled in the garden, where God created perfection. Intellectually, we were completely fulfilled. Aesthetically, beauty, we were completely fulfilled. Psychologically, we were completely fulfilled. Have you seen anxiety and depression levels in our country right now? They're going off the chain. But in the garden, we, we had stability. We had a sociological understanding. We had relational perfection. We were naked and unashamed. But we lost that. We lost home. And now it's like that the spaceship crashed on Mars and, and we get out of the spaceship and we, we, what happens? We, the atmosphere doesn't fit us and we start to deteriorate because the earth atmosphere is 20% oxygen. Mars is 1.5%. I looked that up. Don't think I'm that smart. <laughs> but we, we start to deteriorate, right? And when we look at our world today and we see what's going on and, and we listen to how we're talking to one another, whether on Capitol Hill or on Twitter, or God forbid it's school board meetings. Doesn't it just take your breath away? Don't you feel like you're getting sick in your throat? Like we're deteriorating, we're breaking down. And that's what happens. That's, that's what happens because we lost the place where we were completely sustained, totally fulfilled, and absolutely supported. And so we're continuing to look for home. And you know what? Sometimes we look back over our shoulder. If we could just get back there. Come on, you know you do it and so do I. I, my, my wife and I are movie buffs. We love, love to watch movies. Um, Terry loves dramas. She likes it. I'm, I'm like, honey, I'm in ministry. My life is a drama. Can we watch something where they blow something up? Like, you know, um, 
And, but I have to, for every three action movies I make her watch, I gotta watch a drama. And we watched a drama, actually we rewatched it just the other day in preparation for this message. It's an old movie, it's 1985, um, called A Trip to Bountiful. Anybody ever heard of it? No. Uh, I gotta, I gotta update my illustrations. Everybody at Heritage heard of it, nobody here. We are many churches in one location. Okay. So let me tell you about A Trip to Bountiful, 1985, Geraldine Page. She actually won the best actress. What it is is Geraldine Page plays an older, elderly woman who was raised in Bountiful, Texas, uh, a fictitious town on the Gulf Coast. And now, um, she has been living for 20 years with her son and daughter-in-law in a cramped apartment in Houston. And the daughter-in-law and the mother don't get along, and they're always bickering, and the son's gotten in between. And it's just a, it's just an apartment from hell. And so one day, the woman's guess, if I could just get back to Bountiful, if I could just get back to Bountiful, then everything would be okay. Then I'd be back home. So one day, when they're not there, she sneaks off, and she goes to the train station to get a train to Bountiful. But they say, no trains go there anymore. And you're saying, this is spoiler alert. It's from 85. You had... 30 years to watch the sucker. Okay, so what happens is then she goes to a bus and she says, the buses go to Bountiful, they don't go there, but they say, well, we can get you to a town that's 12 miles away. So she says, get me there. She gets there and she finds out that the friend she had planned to stay with when she got to Bountiful to go back to gardening and live there, that friend has died. And so the sheriff takes compassion on her. People are telling her, there's nobody in Bountiful anymore. Nobody lives there. But the sheriff says, look, I'll drive you there so you can go back to your home. And she, he drives her there, and guess what? The town is absolutely dilapidated, 100% deserted. All the buildings are falling down. Her home is in, is in shambles. And the, the apple orchards she remembers are just laid waste. And she realizes that she can never go back to Bountiful. See, when we get nostalgic, the truth is it wasn't as good as we remember. And it's part of where we're still, it's a demonstration we're still looking for home. I'm guilty of this. Just like, just like Geraldine Page and Bountiful. I had a moment, Terry and I and my wife, we had to go to a meeting down in Canton. This is about three or four weeks ago. And uh, I, I, I've told many times the story where Terry and I met. We met in a nightclub, okay? My son, my daughter-in-law, they met on a mission trip through Garfield to a Native American reservation. So I told them when I, I blessed them, I said, you guys have the holy testimony. Mom and I met in a bar. Okay, so we got that out the way. But so anyhow, we're, freeds are evolving. Um, but I met that, there, her in this, in this wonderful place in Canton, and we danced the night away. And honestly, it's, so, it's a true story. I know it's, uh, but you know, we've never been apart since that night. We have never been apart. Uh, it, was, it was an enchanted night. It was a night that I, I think back on so many times. So we're at this meeting down in Canton. I said, honey, can we just go back to where we met? And she's like, it's not there. Like, I'm from Canton, Chip. It's not there. I know, but just put me in the area. I just want to smell the air. just want to touch the ground. She said, all right. She drove me up to Belden Village Mall, and she goes, there it is. It's a Petco. Oh, man. I, um, I said to my wife, I said, well, maybe I could just go in and kind of like figure out physically, maybe a GPS where we were. And I was worried I might end up in the snake section or something. So, but see, I mean, when we go back and we think this way, we're always yearning for something. But this is why Psalm 90 verse one says, Lord, you have been our dwelling place. 
through all generations. Isaac Watts wrote a great hymn to that, to that psalm where he said, Oh God, our help in ages past, our hope for things to come, our shelter from the stormy blast, and our eternal home. We're yearning for home, friends. And we mask this. We mask through buying big houses or, or if I can just get this big, I can just get this relationship, I can just have this marriage or whatever, then finally I'll be home. And the truth is, all those things are pointing to a different home, to a better home. They're wonderful things. But the truth is, I don't care how nice your house is, I don't care if it's up in the mountains or by the ocean, it's a sandcastle and the tide is coming in. Because we're, we're aching for our true home. But here's the good news, that ache proves that our home is real. You know why? C.S. Lewis said this way, being hungry doesn't prove that I will get food, but it proves that there is something called food that does exist. And we're earning, we're yearning for home. Okay, let me try to get, I got to get moving. How do we get home? How do we get home? We, if we read that verse, we can't just get there by ourselves. It says Jacob can't just walk home. What does it say? It said God needs to take the initiative. The Lord will deliver, ransom Jacob, and redeem them from the hand of those stronger than they. God has to take the initiative. Why? Because Adam and Eve lost home. If we, in our spiritual grandparents, right? Lost home, and we're lost too. And what created the fracture? It's a thing called sin. And Scott talked about this last week with Cain and Abel. And he gave you the literary definition in the Greek and the Hebrew. What sin literally means is like an archer. You heard his sermon last week, missing the target, right? But, but the essence of sin, what's the essence of sin? Two things I really want you to remember. Always this is it. Sin is self-centeredness. Sin is putting ourselves at the center where only God belongs. You want me to prove this historically, why the human race doesn't do this very well? You ever heard the names Galileo and Copernicus? Do you know the world wanted to kill them? Do you know the church wanted to kill them and view them as heretics? Why? Because they, they, they said that we might not be the center of the universe. And the world went insane. What do you mean? Everything revolves around us. No, we revolve around the sun. And they, and they had to shut up for years because they were going to get killed. Why? Because sin is self-centeredness. Whenever we put ourself and our agenda and our policy, everything else, whatever it is that promotes ourselves, we put that to center. That's what sin is. And here's what sin always leads to. It always leads to separation. Always. That's Paul Tillich, a great theologian, asked him what, what's sin. He said separation. See, in early Israel, what they did, they had something called the scapegoat. And the scapegoat they would bring in, and the priests at the temple, they would, they would lay all the, the sins upon the goat and then banish it to the wilderness. It was just an image of what sin always does. That's why Israel's in exile. That's why we're in exile. It leads to separation. And let me tell you, friends, that is why my heart is so unsettled at the division and the brokenness and the polarization in our world. Because it always does this. Because self-centered, self-focused people, and hello, uh, instead of looking at the person next to you saying, that's me. Okay? We have led to this, and we've been so so self-absorbed and put ourselves back at the center. That leads to separation. So I'm going to tell you, you look at the division in our country, in our world, guess what? It ain't sad. It's sinful. And if you participate in it, and I participate in it, it's sinful. So let me bring it home. If I can't be your friend because of how you vote, 
because of the color of your skin, because of who you choose to love, that's not sad. That's sin. If I can't go to church with you because of how you vote, because of the color of your skin, because of who you choose to love, it's not sad. It's sin. And we are supposed to be called to, uh, to be bearers in the breach of the one who entered into the breach for us to bring us back home. And we've got, to, we've got to continue to get away from this. And you say, well, Chip, I know a lot of sins. My wife messed with me in my study about this. Yeah, okay. Name one. Name a sin. You know, she said, okay, lying. Lying's a sin. Yeah, it's a sin. Lying's a sin. And what happens when you lie? Why do you lie? Because you're self-centered. Because you're afraid somebody will find you out. Because you've got to cre- recreate the narrative to promote yourself. And if you keep lying in a relationship, what's going to happen? Right? What about greed? What's greed about? What's, what's the sin of greed? What is it? Self-centeredness. Give me, give me, give me, give me, right? Give me more, give me more, give me more, give me more. And what does that greed lead to? Eight people in our country make more than 60, the bottom 65%. Separation. Greatest separation of wealth that we've ever had in the history of the world. This is it, folks. This is what puts us in exile. This is what we've got to fight back against. So what, what brings us home? Let me say to you, it's this. It's the tears of Rachel. Did you hear that verse? There was a great voice crying up in the land of Ramah, Rachel weeping for her children, there'll be no more. This is what gets us home. It's Rachel cheering, cheer, weeping for her kids. And let me show you, there's three times the tears of Rachel are in the Bible. We're just going to throw them up there for you. Three times. Genesis 35, Jeremiah 31 that you heard read today, and Matthew 2. Genesis 35, Jacob and Rachel are heading back into the land. It's after I preached about he reconciled with Esau. Back in the land, they're going home. Don't put that slide up yet, please. Back in the, go back there again, thanks. Back in the land, going home. And uh, they're, they get to, on their way, to Ephah, and, and Rachel, who in, in, has child, goes into labor, the, the final of the 12 tribes of Israel, Benjamin, and she's in labor, and she realizes she's going to die, and that she's going to have to die for a child to live, so she weeps. Read it in 35, 16 through 19. She weeps, she names the child, and then she dies. Years later, at this place in Jeremiah, the people are weeping because they've been murdered, you know, Babylon's come in, and they're at Ramah. You know what Ramah is? Ramah was a slave port. Ramah was a place where the Nazis put the Jews on the trains to go to the camps. Ramah was a way station. And when Babylon destroyed Jerusalem, they took them to Ramah, they processed them, and then they sent them into exile. Can you imagine the mothers weeping in Ramah over lost children, lost husbands, lost family members? And you get to Matthew... And Matthew says, all of this was fulfilled in the birth of Christ. Go back to that slide you put up in Genesis 35. Look at how many echoes you hear here about Christmas. Then they journeyed, who? A couple from Bethel. And they were still distant, right? Rachel was in childbirth. Do we remember Joseph and Mary? Hard labor. And when she was in her labor, the midwife said to her, don't be afraid. Wasn't that the word of Christmas? from the angels. Don't be afraid, right? As her soul died, she named him Benoi, right? She, Benoi, which meant um, son of my sorrow. But the father renamed him and said, son of the right hand. And Jesus has gone to sit at the right hand of God. So Rachel died and she was buried on the way to Ephraim. That is Bethlehem. Yeah. 
See how it's all been pointing to our true and better with Rachel who would weep over her, his children, her children? Look at, look at um, uh, uh, Jeremiah 18 when we think about that. The weeping going on in Rama, right? Going into exile. Where did, what happened in Matthew 2? Herod came in to murder children to try to kill Jesus. You remember it? And, and he murdered innocent children. And what did the Holy Family have to do? They had to go into exile to Egypt. They had their own Rama. And Rachel was weeping. And Jesus lived in exile his entire life. He came back to Israel. And what did John say? He came to his own. His own knew him not. And he said, foxes have dens, birds have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. He lived homeless. He lived alienated. He lived in exile. Isaiah said he had no form of which we should even behold him. He rode into Jerusalem on a borrowed animal. He ate Passover in a borrowed room. He was crucified on a foreign cross. He was kicked outside the gates of the city, and he was buried in a borrowed grave. And Jesus went into exile so that we could be brought home. And he lived in exile so that we wouldn't have to. And when Jesus came to Jerusalem, those who've traveled with Terry and I to Israel, you, won't for, you don't forget this spot, neither do I, where he walked down the Mount of Olives into Jerusalem. And what he did, he stopped and he wept over the city. This was Rachel weeping for her children. And you say, well, Jesus was a dude. Well, he didn't say he was at that moment. If you read his prayer, he said, Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, how many times I want to pick you up like a mother hen picks up her chicks. This is a true and better Rachel weeping over us. And it's those tears and what Jesus has been willing to do to step into the darkness, to step into the breach, to be forsaken of God so that we wouldn't have to be to end evil without ending us. That's what gets us home. So let me close with this. And I, I got to tell you, friends, until till we realize that this is what we're really looking for, we're going to be chasing will-o'-wisp all our life. So what, what does a new home look like? Jeremiah tells us, if you read those verses, he tells us what the new, new home's going to look like. He says, you know, the days are coming when I'll make a new covenant. I'll put my law in their minds and I'll write it on their hearts. I will be their God and they will be my people. No longer will they teach their neighbors, say to one another, know the Lord because they'll all know me. From the least of them to the greatest, for I will forgive their wickedness and I'll remember their sins no more. That's what it looks like. That's home. And here's what I want to tell you. If you know what it looks like there, you need to live like it here. Okay? That's my last point. That, that, that this is what we're called to do. You got a slide. Live life like it there, live like it here. My grandma used to say to me, you could be so heavenly bound, you know, earthly good. And she was absolutely right. But here's the problem. The truth is that's because of our sinfulness. Because heavenly bound people, people who know what it's like there, ought to be the most earthly good people that have ever lived. And I learned that this week in contrast to kind of Captain Kirk. I I met a woman on the internet. Her name was uh, Linda Wilson Allen. I call her a kingdom architect. She she knows what her home is there, so she's going to live like it here. The San Francisco Chronicle wrote an article about her. They said there's an angel on the 45 uh, bus on the Muni line. Linda Wilson Allen was... uh, Pretty, pretty in bad shape. Her family is addicted to drugs. Uh, she uh, was, her husband left her. She was nearly homeless, six children. But she came to Christ. 
she, she found out what home really looks like, what the kingdom really looks like. And so she started to live it. And the, uh, the, the, the Chronicle article talked about, said, here's this bus driver who knows the names of everybody who gets on their bus or will by the end of the day. She loves them. She, she treasures them. She views it as an honor to be able to take them around. They, that's, that's a picture of Linda right there on bus 45. They interviewed an 80-year-old woman named Ivy. Ivy talked about Linda, said she was going to get on the bus, but she had all these grocery bags, and she lives all by herself and had nobody to help her, and she knew she was going to miss the bus. The bus had started to leave, but all of a sudden she saw the bus stop. The bus driver got off, took all of her grocery bags, got her on the bus, and Linda said, I, I'll wait for my uh, clients. I, I want to get them on the bus. I'll make it up somewhere down the route. So Ivy is so beloved that Linda takes care of her that now when she sits at bus stops in San Francisco, she lets all the other buses go by until she finds number 45. One day Linda was driving around San Francisco and it was rainy and it was the day before Thanksgiving and there was a woman who was shuddering. She was a woman her own age, a young woman, and she could tell, you know, in cities like that you find people who are displaced or sex trafficked or who knows what. And so Linda got off the bus, got off to, to just go in to talk to her and to minister to her, and she found out that Tanya had come out to San Francisco and she had lived in Atlanta, but this man had promised the world to her and she got there and he abused her and, and left her and out on the street. And, and Linda said, tomorrow, so thank given. If you can't get back to Atlanta, you can get to my house. I'll I'll pick you up on bus 45 and you can come have Thanksgiving with me. Six years later, Linda and Tanya are best friends. Linda travels to Atlanta to see Tanya. Tanya travels to San Francisco to see her. And and the article said this. It says, think about what a thankless task driving a bus can look like in our world. I just flew on a plane. Do you know, I I went up and literally like air hugged every stewardess. Can you imagine being a stewardess or student with us crazy self-centered people these days? Have you seen the little TikToks and everything else? Just, Just people who have lost their mind. But think about a bus driver in that world. Cranky passengers, engine breakdowns, traffic jams, gum on the seats. And the article said, ask yourself, how does she have this attitude? And she'll tell you. Her mood is set at 2.30 a.m. Because when she's done with her route around 2 o'clock and gets home at 2.30, she says the first thing she does is get down on her knees and pray to God for every person she's had the opportunity to represent Jesus to that day. And she said, she said I love this, in the interview, she said, you know, when you, when you do that and you live like that, there's a lot to talk about with the Lord every day. And she says, then I pray to God, okay, tomorrow when I wake up and get on my route, would you use me to share your love and your grace with other people? And I'll be back to tell you about tomorrow night. Linda is a member, watch this, of Glad Tidings Church. People wonder, friends, where can I find the kingdom of God? I'll tell you where you can find it on bus number 45 on the Muni route running through San Francisco. People wonder, where can I find the church? I'll tell you what, you can find it behind the wheel of bus 45 with Linda Wilson Allen driving it. Why do you live like this? Because I know what it's like there. So I live like that here. I know I'm past my time. I'll just close this way. I, when Captain Kirk, when William Shatner got off that spaceship, you can YouTube it and see it. He teared up with Jeff Bezos and he was crying and he said this. He said, this is the most profound experience. I hope I never recover from this. I hope I can maintain what I feel now. I don't want to lose it. It's so much larger than me. It has to do with the enormity of life and the rudeness of death. 
And I said, oh, Captain Kirk, I've been there. I've been at the rim of the Grand Canyon. I've, I've seen an ocean. I've been up on a fishing lake in northern Canada. And boy, you know, the Bible's right. It says the heavens are telling the glory of God. But they're just a little appetizer. And I said in my heart,